Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Jar- I am your co-host Zachary Shevich, and joining it's me... It's been so long. Black Lives Matter, it's Arturo Zarita. I like how it's been so long you forgot your name. But, yo, it's been it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we've yep. done some live streams over on... Rusty. Yeah, we've done some live streams over on LME. Uh, we were able to do a fundraiser that we we thought we were going to get like $5 the most. But uh, it was pretty dope seeing a lot of you guys come in, join us for the hangout. Uh, and on top of that, a lot of requests that you guys were giving us for a big like jumbo LME. But other than that, Zach, how have you been? I know we keep up... You and I keep up all the time, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's been a it's been a troubling couple of weeks honestly to just be a citizen and to be a person who is trying to watch the world around us and uh not be in a place that we are upset about mm-hmm. but uh I think there's been some little bits to be inspired by too, particularly the way that people are are coming together and trying to educate and inform and uh, that that's what I'm trying to stick with, and you know, it makes it makes movie watching maybe a little bit more complicated. Yeah. But there's also some good movies there uh, to turn to, and I think both of us have been doing some of that as well. Dude, I have been on a binge list like crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. I say listen all the time in my videos. I shut up. I sat down with a whole playlist of movies. I've I've talked about Stranger Fruits so many times. I've talked about uh, in, in a lot of like Netflix, Amazon. They put out like a Black Lives Matter. Um, whole collection, collection or... which is interesting because they're like the Netflix one is not a moment. How long do you think it'll be there though? You know, like that's right, the right. one thing I was reading an article earlier today about like they went back to see what YouTube had said, uh, Apple, Microsoft, all these people who are like really big on it right now, and they're like, "What'd y'all say in 2014, 2016? Mm-hmm. Only Twitter." Jack Dorsey was over there in the front lines going, I'm marching with y'all. And he was just keeping that same action right now. Um, but yeah, it's been crazy. And there's a lot. Obviously, you and I are big into movies. And we know the power of movies, cinema. We know that what is portrayed on screen, both ways, as we've seen recently, has definitely been reflected. Um, and I think through movies, through documentaries, through a lot of the films that are out there, as Ebert says, it, it's, an, it's a machine of empathy, you know? Mm-hmm. And many times mm-hmm. you don't... If you're not interacting with certain people, I, I've always, I know it's been a joke that I've had for the longest time when I, when people come up to me like, you know, you're not as suspicious as I thought you would be. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> um, and I think a lot of that comes from the content you consume uh, for a lot of people who don't know many times how to differentiate if you've only been used to one source, I guess. But hey, it's been crazy, but we still got a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about in terms of yes, everything. Uh- yeah, there, there's still a bunch of interesting things happening in the world of entertainment that we want to talk about. Uh, so hopefully you are looking for that, too. And we're, we want to be here as that type of resource. Uh, but a reminder that if you do want to contribute to our fundraiser for the ACLU, you can head over to the Let Me Explain channel. Uh, we've been doing some live streams on Mondays. So if you're looking for a little bit more uh, from us specifically in this kind of conversational format, make sure you're check, uh, checking there on Mondays typically or although uh, it's a little bit random. We're, we're figuring that yeah. out. Uh, but we're, we want to keep going here on Intercut. And of course, 
course, in a little bit, we're going to be talking about HBO Max, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, the Snyder Cut, a bunch of stuff that we haven't been able to cover in the last few weeks. But first, make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at IntercutPod. That's at IntercutPod, Intercut P-O-D, short for podcast. Art, let's start the show the way we started every week here with what we are watching. What you've been watching, buddy? I was going to say Artemis Fowl. No, I want to talk about the Five Bloods, <laughs> and uh, I know we'll make one on Staten Island as well. But between the two, mm-hmm. uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I think there's more to talk about with the Five Bloods. Let's call the Five so Bloods then. There. Uh, you liked it a little bit more than I did. I still very mm-hmm. much enjoyed it. I don't think it's up there with black Klansmen and such but the one thing that he does crucial in this movie is with it being the story of there's five of them but technically it's four vietnam veterans who are going back to do a sierra mm-hmm. madre if you don't know sierra madre then mm-hmm. uh triple frontier um to go back and collect some gold that was left behind when they were serving in vietnam and the way that spike directs it is that he injects so many things is he speaking to the camera at many points there is a whole monologue where a man just speaks into the camera. But pretty much what he's doing is it's almost like a PowerPoint collection. And where someone mentions something, he will interject. He will superimpose a picture of said event, of said person with the name, details, everything you need to know. And he's practically telling you, there it is. Look it up. There's no excuse. Mm-hmm. There it is. If you don't know about it, go. In format, it's almost a little bit more like something you'd see on YouTube. Like even the way that uh, he will he will disregard the uh, frame size. Mm-hmm. And just put show a vertical picture uh, of somebody, uh, but he he's really doing a lot of explaining, a lot of teaching, uh, showing you a lot of history, uh, and that's something that Spike does a lot of. You know, I, I went back and I watched uh, he got game, mm-hmm. and I went back and I, I saw a little bit of uh, she's got to have it, and, and a lot of his movies do this thing where they they give you larger context, they talk uh, about. Uh, these issues of the particularly here we're talking about uh, these black soldiers debating their their role in an America that has largely turned its back on Mm -hmm. them yet required them to fight in Vietnam one of the very interesting things that uh, is mentioned in the movie that at the time of the Vietnam War uh, the black population in America was only 11% but they counted for nearly a third of of the troops that we sent into Vietnam so you have uh, this unrepresentative group being sent to fight our wars for us when uh, they're they're lacking certain rights back home Mm -hmm. Uh, and that sort of moral quandary that ethical quandary I think is what what's really fascinating to explore in this movie but what also makes that a little bit more palatable and and not such of like a not like a lecture is it's sort of surrounded by this hangout movie of these old friends who are are happy to get back together again who have different uh memories and 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 uh this li- very lived in dynamic and you know it's pleasant to f- spend time with them i really liked uh, people talk about that one shot of them in the club is one of the most joyful yeah. shots of uh, cinema that we've gotten so far this year. And being able to go on this sort of treasure hunt with them while also getting this really fascinating history, uh, I think just made this a movie that I enjoyed on several levels. Yeah. Um, I We were talking about this also on the stream, but 
they were breaking down because the way that Spike had shot this was he always wanted them to be framed as a collective. So a lot mm-hmm. of the shots where you're seeing them all together, they are all together to bring extra emphasis whenever it's a close-up or it's a person in, who's uh, like called out individually. And Delroy Lindo, without a doubt, this man, out of the, the five, um, he's like the one who is a Trumpite. Pretty much is how um, mm-hmm. uh, Lee described it. And Lee... He's got the MAGA hat. He's got the MAGA hat. He's the one who says, build that wall, I don't care. Yet he is the most fleshed out character when they cover his PTSD, when they cover the relationship that he has with the fifth blood, which would have been Chadwick Boseman's character. Um, Storm and Norman. And the relationship that they had there. But I think like out of all the scenes that stood out to me, Delroy's in every single one of them. They did the breakdown Absolutely. on who has the most screen time. He has the most screen time. We had talked about the discussion of whether he would be even considered as a lead actor. You had mentioned um, from The Favorite. Olivia Coleman. Yeah, another movie like The Five Bloods in which there's several uh, main characters to the point where you could almost say, well, are they all supporting? Like, is there mm-hmm. a lead? Uh, but at the same way that I think a lot of the favorite it rides on Olivia Coleman's character and her her whims uh, and ultimately kind of pushes her into the lead category. I think so much of the action in The Five Bloods rides on uh, Delroy Lindo and he just he sucks up the attention whenever he's on screen in a way that I think you got to say that he's the lead character of this movie and and also to extend that that he is probably our front runner for best actor at the Oscars right now. Granted, it's obviously very early and there's going to be some changes to the Oscars. We'll get to later. In yes, the show. sir. Uh, but he's just so dynamic and so watchable in every moment of that movie. Easily uh, down to his monologue that he has. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the references that were in there. It, it had me doing a lot of reading on all the pictures that he did. You know, when he showed the monk, I went back and just read up on everything. I was telling you, I was like, do you have any idea what they did with the monk and his heart? And they kept it <laughs> right. and they, they had to steal the body and stuff like that. Um, it, it runs a what? It's a, uh, let me check it over here. An hour 50. Two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, two and a half hours, but it, it it's on Netflix. Uh, it even has an after credit scene, which, yeah. um, if anything, I would say going into the after credit scene is knowing how he shot the film. He shot a lot of it overseas. He actually had the cinematographer from Extraction. And he was like, how am I going to be able to handle Extraction and then go straight into this movie? He was like, well, they're filming it over here. I think it was in Thailand. And he was like, yeah. well, I've been here filming Extraction. So he ended up being the best for the job. And an interesting note was he, and I'm blinking on it. I want to make sure I get his name, the uh, cinematographer, Newton Thomas Sigel. Sigel. I'm going to say Sigel. He was an AD on uh, Platoon. Oh, wow. This one? Yeah. He did that shot. That's his huh. shot. Uh, and then if you look at the poster, you know, that was his, he was like, he, I think it was a second unit camera and he was like, oh, we should film it this way. He got it that way. It's the poster. So yeah. uh, all these years later, now he's over here, he's doing the five bloods and a lot of it invokes uh, apocalypse now imagery. There's a lot of stuff like we had mentioned with, uh, even quotes coming from Sierra Madre, um, which I know a lot of people have felt that it's just like a, the black version of apocalypse now, or it's the black version of Sierra Madre. But I think he interjects a lot. Like, like we said, the complaint can also be that he superimposes too many pictures and then saying that he's not doing enough. Um, but I think it definitely is asking the viewer, know your, know your stuff. It's yeah, not just the yeah. Kent State Massacre that happened. There was also something that happened in Louisiana. It's not right. just that there was civil rights that were happening back home. It's they got rid of all the people who were black, who were trained in the military to be overseas 
in the front lines of what was happening over there. Um, very interesting depiction on both sides, though. They end up uh, like their tour guide is somebody whose father fought in the war as well. Right, right. And that's one of the things that I think is so great about Spike Lee movies in general and something that I've been noticing in going back and watching some older Spike Lee films is that his worlds feel very full, mm-hmm. right? You get some movies that are so hyper-focused on the main characters and and they the characters feel uh, the main characters feel full, but the world around them feels a little bit blank. And here, somebody that just has like a one or two line role, you feel like you know the type of personality they are, a little bit of their backstory, you know, they they have this random exchange uh, with a, a uh, Vietnamese chicken salesman that turns into this like very visceral uh, argument about the legacy of war. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's the way in which Spike Lee is able to make this about more than just these characters it's about uh, the Vietnamese people who have had to dealt with American imperialism, the, the families that have uh, been shaken by the international uh, barriers between them. It's just a, it's a really smart movie. I know we're, we want to yeah. talk about this more in depth, so we're going to have a Let Us Explain on the channel at some point. Uh, make sure you look out for that. Another movie that I think we're going to do a Let Us Explain for on sure. is The King of Staten Island. This is the new Judd Apatow film starring Pete Davidson, uh, another one of the Judd Apatow kind of stoner hangout comedies uh, about finding yourself coming of age a bit. Uh, this one here deals more a little more explicitly with trauma, uh, Related to Pete Davidson's real story in that Pete Davidson, as well as his character, uh, share that they their father was a firefighter who died at a young age. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, he, in this char- in this story, Pete Davidson's character, Scott, uh, is sort of unable to grow up. And uh, he's kind of in this perpetual adolescence where he smokes weed and hangs out with his friends and doesn't really have a real job and doesn't even think about leaving home. Uh, on, until, you know, he needs to go through some life changes. Uh, as an exploration of this trauma, I found it uh, affecting. As a comedy, I was a little bit more underwhelmed with it. Art, what did you think? Same thing. Uh, Big Time Adolescence, as you were talking about, is a movie on Hulu that I think covers the comedy aspects of Like, he's playing the same character, too. But I think Yeah, that, the same kind of perpetual adolescent yeah, character. That, to me, feels like he was playing the people who he was hanging out with right and he was supposed to be the kid and while that movie may not have the heart that this one has like we talked about it definitely has the humor i think that does the humor way better than this one does not that i don't like the humor in this one but the humor in this one was a little bit more dark at points you're just like yo you are a very crappy person and i do not find this funny to a degree there's an interview and i know we'll talk about it more on the let us explain but he pretty much was just like I wasn't taking anything serious on set, and I was coming up to Marissa Tomei. I was coming up to Maude, Apatow's daughter, who plays his sister in the movie. And he was like, I was trying to make him laugh, and they're like, bro, we're about to cry. So if you – because, again, this is the what if of Pete Davidson. What if Mm -hmm. he didn't become a comedian? And as he's joking around with them, they're like, bro, we're trying to get into character to tell your story. And he's like, oh, thank thank you for telling my story. (laughs) This dude was just goofing off the entire time on set. Um, But I definitely think it's got the heart aspect of it. Uh, because again, he's talking about that perspective of his father who was named Scott and that's his, the name of his character in the movie and dealing with that idea of like, why would your dad take a profession and where he may leave his kids behind? And it's him trying to, um, 
embrace that, challenge that. I know he talked about it being a love letter to his mom as well and telling her to go out and 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 be free, date. She's got, he was in an interview talking talking about how uh, she is. She doesn't come back home until <laughs> super late now, but I definitely do think it has a lot of uh, it has a lot of heart in it. Um, but at two hours and a lot of change, mm-hmm. maybe it could have been trimmed back a bit. Definitely dragged. I felt yeah. like uh, the story didn't even really get going until yeah. it, almost halfway through to me. Um, so I, I, it's like a mild recommend it for mm-hmm. me, uh, just because I do. I think so. Uh, I think many of the actors are charming. Pete Davidson is very charming. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he does have a future as a film actor, particularly. Uh, but it's just not quite as enjoyable or funny as I had hoped yeah. for. Uh, a couple uh, films and TV shows that aren't quite as new, we still wanted to uh, catch up with really briefly here. Let's start w- with The Lovebirds. This mm. is the new Netflix film directed by Michael Showalter, starring Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani as a couple who are involved in, uh, tangentially in a murder and then spend a day trying to uh, absolve themselves of guilt and prove their innocence uh, running all over the city and getting into various hijinks, uncovering uh, cults of some kind. Uh, we might be a little bit spoilery in this one because it's been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Art, what did you think about the lovebirds? If we... Spoilers? Sure. And spoilers? I mean, they got this description down below. You can jump ahead if you don't want to hear about love. And this is me waiting a little bit more to just say spoilers? What is it with every every movie having a... And, what is it with every movie having a cop going, they did me dirty, got to go to crime? There was like <laughs> eight movies last year that had that just alone that we covered. Much less, mm-hmm. I don't even know what they're doing over in uh, other foreign countries when it comes to those same movies. But they, it's been happening. Uh, it's interesting seeing a lot of people. There was that Shrek clip that was going around where Donkey gets pinned down. And he's like, oh, mm. I can't breathe. And they had him down and people were like, oh, my gosh, did Shrek guess the future? I was like, nah, homie, you <laughs> right. weren't listening. It's been out there all the time. <laughs> so much so, it's a punchline in movies. And this mm. one more so, um, I guess getting completely into the spoilers of it, having that as well, I was like, I'm surprised. I was like, it's making it now into comedies. I know it was in the uh, what was New Orleans movie from last year. Also had a body cam. Um, and it starred... Gabrielle Union, I think. Some some people will know oh. exactly what I'm talking about, but that also had yeah. a similar one as well. It's like a very common storyline. But in terms of the comedy aspect of it, I was a big fan of the, of the first half of it. I thought the chemistry was mm-hmm. done pretty well. Um, even the scene that we see in the trailer where they get run over, I think it's edited better in the movie. I think it's funnier. Mm-hmm. Then you get to a, a, a part in the movie where the, oh my gosh, we're running for our lives, it's completely dissolved with them having to crack a joke while they're in a Kubrick-esque, uh, eyes wide shut scenario. Yeah, mask party of yeah. some kind. Uh, so it is a little goofy at points, and it like mm-hmm. overdoes the plot of it. It it frequently breaks the reality of the story in order for them to get off jokes that aren't funny enough to kind of break the reality of the story. That's why we co-host, bro. Uh, That's exactly it. 
Yeah, you know, Issa Rae and Kumail Nanjiani, I think, are very charming and funny in this one. And, and when they're given a chance to banter or, like, catch up with each other and, and, and reassess the situation or, or, like, hone in on a detail that isn't quite right, those are moments that I find funny. But you, there's so much of this movie where they have to do plot work. Yeah. They have to explain something or they have to say, like, oh, we have to go to this side. of the, We have to go across town to this to get the guy and whatever. And, and all of that is just... Uninteresting, but more importantly, unfunny. All of the characters surrounding Issa Rae and Kumail in this are not funny, uh, which is, which is a shame because I think it could have been uh, better, maybe given a couple more drafts of the screenplay mm-hmm. or something. Uh, but I'm just it. Whenever it refocused on the plot and not on the banter, the movie lost me. Yeah. Um... And to think this was a South by selection that was supposed to have a theatrical release, maybe it would have worked better with an audience. Maybe. You know, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't deny that for sure. But it still has to work when it's streaming on Netflix. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Another comedy streaming on Netflix is Space Force, the mm. new series co-created by Greg Daniels and Steve Carell. Uh, see Steve Carell returning to television after his long and storied run as Michael Scott on The Office. Uh, This is also, like The Office, a show co-created by Craig Daniels. Uh, This one takes place in the... In the new developing sixth branch of the military, the Space Force, which Steve Carell's character has been uh, tipped to run, and as they go through the trials and tribulations of... uh, of launching a new military division, one that involves lots of science and uh, also government interference. Uh, it's trying to, kind of trying to do this like hangout comedy mm-hmm. within all of that. Uh, Art, what did you think of Space Force? Not that funny. Yeah. And in the like you said, the attempts to try to be funny, they undermine a lot of the commentary that they want to do. Like you said, Greg Daniels mm-hmm. did this, and Greg Daniels also has Upload, which is a, a series about... Uh, we get to a point where we can actually have an afterlife. You have people who are able to get uploaded into... I kept thinking they were saying Verizon, but it's Horizon. You play for a data plan in the afterlife. And depending on how big of a data plan you have, they can be in a very, very big VR world, or they could be in something that's really crappy, or you get stored in a hard drive. Unless you wanted to do the natural way and meet your loved ones in heaven if you believed in that. That's way more nuanced, as as goofy as that one also gets as well, than this one, in my opinion. This one has a lot of jokes that they reference a lot of things from buttons. Uh, if we only had the, the, the cover buttons and stuff like that. There's moments where they talk about a launch and how they really don't care about the, uh, I don't know what the profession would be, the lady who's outside getting all of the lizards and all of the animals to make sure that they don't go extinct. Right. You know, the little things where they, they shine a light on how goofy the idea is to rush a space force. Um, but at the same time, I will say this. I went back and learned about the, the, the space race in the 1950s and to the 1960s. Bro, aliens are next. I don't know what they're hiding up there, but there's something there. There's something there. What'd you think of it, though? Yeah. Um, I kind of had the same issue with you. Is like, Even though I did find it funny in parts, it's just not necessarily uh, consistently funny enough. Uh, I think... Joke density is this idea uh, that I've seen people talk about in that uh, there's a lot of sitcoms that are very joke dense. And I think of like a 30 Rock is one where they're giving you a joke basically every other line. Uh, The Office is typically pretty joke dense. But this one, it feels like sometimes they're doing like two minutes of setup or three minutes of establishment to get to a joke. And many times not worth it. Not. 
it's it it's a long walk around the block in order to give you like a half-hearted laugh and, and uh, you know the laughs are just too few and far between mm-hmm. to recommend this necessarily as a comedy i think the thing that they're trying to go for here is a little bit of like an earnestness uh that you do get occasionally with the office where uh you know the office had that like jim and pam romance at the center of it and they, they are clearly trying to go for their like new version of this by the end of the first season of this show too. Yeah. Uh I it's some of that works for me. A lot of the stuff with Steve Carell's character doesn't work as well for me. Like because he has a daughter as well and it's a, it's a lot of his family yeah, drama. They try to make him seem like he's like this good dad or whatever, but it, meanwhile he's spearheading like this incompetent branch of the government that's spending billions of dollars. It's just a little bit like of a of a juxtaposition to me that I I I have trouble getting over. The more I was able to turn my brain off, I did find myself just kind of along for the ride. It's a it's a uncomplicated hangout for mm-hmm. the most part, and I like a lot of the cast. People like Jimmy O. Yang, mm-hmm. uh, Tawny Newton, who I hadn't seen before this, uh, uh, even Ben Schwartz in in some sort of brief moments. John Malkovich. There's a- enough pleasant people, and I think uh, talents going into this that it's okay to put on but it's definitely not like something i'd highly recommend or something that i'm going to be eagerly anticipating a second season if it does get one which i I think it will because it's a really big investment you can tell this is an expensive show i was about to say the amount of music and not just excerpts of music they just sing very Mm -hmm. expensive songs it's like okay you're just flaunting the flaunting a budget for something that i felt was turned over really quickly they like they announced it and they're like we're gonna make a show about that and I was like, it's, I don't know. It sounds like you guys are getting that into production really quick just to be timely with the jo-. That's what season one felt like. But you've mentioned that, like The Office, sometimes it takes a couple of seasons. Um, but until then, someone can let me know. Yeah. Mike Schur, who is, uh, of course, the guy who created The Good Place and Parks and Rec, I believe he has a quote that says, like, if he, if he had his way, every comedy would throw out its first 10 episodes. Uh, Space Force is 10 episodes long. So I'm, I have high hopes for season two. Okay. Uh, another thing that we hadn't got to, I haven't caught up with it yet, but I know you watched, uh, was the second season of Homecoming, a show that we really, really liked in its first season. That first season, uh, of course, starred Julia Roberts and was directed by Sam Esmail of Mr. Robot fame. Uh, both Julia Roberts and Sam Esmail are not in this sec or not involved in the second season. I think Sam is a producer, but not a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we get Kyle Patrick Alvarez, the man behind the Stanford prison experiment who directs all, I want to say seven episodes of this show, which now stars Janelle Monet in a, a bit of a continuation from the previous season has some recurring characters. And uh, I believe is still based off the homecoming podcast. Uh, but art, you weren't as into its second season as you were its first. Season one is a masterpiece. Rewatched it, bona fide masterpiece down to the ending. Season two is great, but it does that thing where a lot of the questions, a lot of what's built up in season one gets answered over here. I called it a lot of like the uh, the Last Jedi. Oh, thanks for the lightsaber that you blunk. Uh, and it's not yeah. so much that. It's just all that stuff gets answered right away. And then they're trying to build like a new narrative of uh, different characters and and what what the characters that were hiding in the beginning they're no longer hiding it they're way more transparent and I was like oh okay not that it takes away from the first but you know what I'm saying it's like all of the mystery yeah, it's box. a little bit like disregard what you saw in season yeah. one that said though everything that season one did even now knowing everything that's been revealed 
Still a masterpiece. Season two isn't bad. It's not bad. I'm just very curious, and you and I talked about this, uh, on how long they continue this show. And considering Esmael already put the visual cues that need to be in there. I love my man from Stanford Prison Experiment. He's got to play within the same box, whatever the third person is. That's cool to give somebody the entire season, but they're still playing within the first person's box then whatever the second person's box and whatever the third person's box. So I'm curious where that goes because, you know, we've talked about how that's become a really big thing um, with Fargo, with True Detective. Um, but this one, with it being a continual series, how it's going to, I don't know. I'm just curious to see how creatively. Because we're in the world of cinematic universes and, and that's become the same thing when it comes to TV shows. Uh, but yeah, were you able to catch it? No, I still haven't caught okay. uh, the second season, but I, I still probably want to, especially because that first season yeah. is so good. Well, that's the one thing I could say for sure is that even after seeing the second season, that's how good the first season is that I could still highly recommend it without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to cover on what we're watching? Uh, we, we've got, yeah, I mean, we can mention the David Lynch weather reports on YouTube, which oh. have been like a, a moment of joy for me. Uh, yeah, his are fantastic. My man just literally looks out the window and he goes, it's... <laughs> cloudy <laughs> they just gives the weather report that's it uh and he did he had a black lives matter uh report as well uh yeah. some of the other ones let's see 365 i guess is one that's huge on netflix i'll be making an lme yep. on that but people love that movie it is the 50 shades community came together and they said this is the next move we approve of the message in this movie that has carried the spirit of sexually frustrated middle-aged women that we want to see on screen it's polish Italian, the two leads for whatever reason speak English to each other. It's on Netflix. You can watch it. I don't know how to delete the history on your Netflix in case you share an account with somebody else. But uh, I will say TikTok has ripped it to pieces. And there are a lot of funny moments in the movie. It's one of those movies that it's so bad. It's still worth watching if you wanted to have a good time, if you're taking drinks. And it's a trilogy. Yeah. A trilogy. uh, so, so we can expect more of these movies. What's, I, the, what's I the math? You could expect seven, whatever 365 times three is because that's – oh, the premise of the movie, by the way, <laughs> just in case you don't know if you do go into it, is that he kidnaps her because he's a Sicilian mobster, kidnaps this Polish lady and tells her, I am gentleman. You will not be forced to fall in love with me because I'm a gentleman. Uh, I'm going to give you 365 days and I can prove that you fall in love with me. Spoiler alert. This girl takes like two weeks before she's like, I must have you. <laughs> Yeah, so it uh, sounds like a, a spiritual uh, successor to the Fifty Shades uh, style yeah. of, like, I'm not so sure that I should be watching this. It seems pretty problematic. Uh, sex movies. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, Gone Wild for adults, practically, live action. So <laughs> I guess, that, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, another movie that came out somewhat recently that we haven't had a chance to talk about on Intercut yet is The High Note. Uh, mm. This uh, uh, it's another movie film from the director of Late Night. Do you remember her name? Uh, I can search her up right now. And yes, Nisha Ganatra or something like that. Uh, yeah, Nisha Ganatra. Uh, and, and this one stars uh, Dakota Johnson as an aspiring music producer who is the assistant to Tracy Ellis Ross's character, who I kind of viewed as like sort of a Mary J. Blige esque type of singer, somebody who was more famous maybe in the 90s and the R&B era, who is still a name, but not necessarily putting out uh, new music right now. And uh, Dakota Johnson wants to produce an album for her, but also is working with this aspiring music uh, musician. And 
you know, it's a mix of a lot of things. It's like a little bit of a musical. It's a little bit of a romance. It's like a little bit of a comedy, but uh, not a lot of any of those in a way that I would say it does any of those particularly well. And there's some somewhat charming performances from the cast here. But for me, one of the things I struggled with is I don't know if I believed a lot of the people as their roles. Like, I don't know if I believed Dakota Johnson as this, like, person who lives and breathes music and wants to produce, you know, or even Tracy Ellis Ross. I don't know if I believed her as this, like, pop diva, despite the fact that she's the daughter of Diana Ross. So it should come easy to her. Um, to me, it's our boy. Our boy Luce yes. can sing, though. Calvin Harrison comes in, and I had no idea that he could sing, and he sings fantastic in the movie. But it is—it's crazy to think. So this was uh, the only one who was attached to the script was Dakota. Hmm. Then they were able to get everybody else, um, and yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not a fan of the reveal in the third act. You and I have discussed this, and I don't want to spoil it, but I, I just don't buy it. But a big reason for it is, like you said, the director had done Late Night, which is you know an intern to a degree, you know, a fresh face mm-hmm. teaching an experienced woman in her professional field how to do things a little bit better. Copy paste that for the high note all the way to the point of experienced professional women must come to fresh intern for advice. And Dakota Johnson is practically playing um, from Pitch Perfect 3. Uh, yeah, the Anna Kendrick role. To the degree, yeah, that she's going and making beats and producing for people that nobody's asking her to do. But again, there is an extra element that is added in the in the oh, so late third act of this of the high note that I didn't buy at it's all. It's just so bizarre because like it it surprised me. Like if that's all you need for a twist, then maybe that twist worked. But it's this detail that like you don't even consider that doesn't seem they important at it. all. And then all of a sudden it changes your entire perception of a few different characters mm-hmm. in this movie. It, it's like, it's this weird, weird left turn, especially one that comes so late in the movie. Yeah. Like maybe if this was th- usually films do a midpoint twist and a third act mm-hmm. twist. I think if this was the midpoint twist, it might've worked, but it's so late that I was just not ready for that yeah. moment. On top of it, I feel like there's a lot of moments in the movie. I'd have to look more into who wrote it and stuff, but um, it feels like inside jokes. Like there's a point. I, I can't remember if it's Diplo, excuse me, but they have somebody in the movie who's playing a producer. And as a producer, he's like, oh, I have replaced all of your sounds and the whole choir. And I have replaced it with my voice digitalized. And I was like, yep, they were, that was Diplo. They were having a good time with that bit. I was like, look, I'm sure this could be a dozen other producers. You guys have gone in and that's fine. Um, you also kind of got to make it funny. Ice Cube plays the manager and he's playing Ice Cube as a manager. And you know, there's, I felt like there could be a lot more that could have been done. Like you said, it doesn't even feel a lot of the characters feel like they're just playing the, by the numbers beat of what the movie is supposed to be. Um, I don't know. I wish it could have been fleshed out a little bit more. There was a funny line, though. Totally. I love the line of where she has to decide between having to make original music, which is the big struggle in the point of her career, or having to make, you know, she already did the live album. She already did the greatest hits album. Now she's got to do the live greatest hits album. (laughs) (laughs) That was a pretty funny line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So... Not so high on the high note, but let us know if you've seen any of those movies. Let us know what you've been watching in the comments below on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We are going to move on to some rapid fires in the yay or nay where we break down the latest happenings 
in entertainment, starting with one that we actually might get into a little bit more of a discussion about, because this just happened. The Oscars announced that it will be delaying its 2021 Academy Awards ceremony until April 25th. This will also open the eligibility period of films from the end of December all the way to February 28th, and nominations won't be announced until March 15th. Art, yay or nay, this move is going to improve next year's Oscars. Maybe. You had a really good point about what film festival will be eligible. Right. Uh, I think Alex Billington mentioned this on Twitter, that theoretically, because of this change, a movie could premiere at Sundance January 2021, then go to movie theaters February 2021 and win Best Picture two months later, three months after it goes to Sundance, which is just the most bizarre idea to me. Uh, But maybe, I, I don't know, like... Are we are we too in the weeds with that? Like, it, I, I'm also still sp- skeptical about whether or not Sundance 2021 is even happening. So. Yeah, you know, there's all the festivals in the fall, which is a really big precursor to awards season and the traction that they got that they get. So without TIFF, without Telluride, without Chicago critics, New York critics, name your state critics, I don't know how it's going to happen because. Uh, mm-hmm. That's usually like the big thing that pushes them. And I feel we talked about this as well. It's not even so much on the Oscars, who is already making changes, but it comes down to the studios. You know, it's are they going to be releasing the movies? Are they going to want to save it for next year? You know, all the big theatrical ones, they didn't even play the game. Some pushed back to the fall, but a lot were like, nah, 2021. We're not even going to. So are they going to play the same game for award season? We have a couple that have come out. We still have that idea that. Maybe Portrait will be considered this year's movie because it wasn't submitted. I don't know how they would play that. If it won, that would be insane. You get Parasite, mm-hmm. you get a Portrait. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think extending it is going to have like a massive January? Because, you know, other than expanding the cities, it used to always be New York and L.A. Mm-hmm. Chicago got added with the rules. I think Austin got right. added with the rules. Seattle and Atlanta, I think, got added with the rules, which means that now you don't have to just have it on that one theater in L.A. or New York. You'll have more places. Because even then, it used to always be the movies came out December 31st in L.A., and then it had a release in January. Well, now we're right. counting all like, of January and February. Exactly. And and I think the biggest thing that it will change is it's going to change the release strategy of a couple of those smaller movies that like to come out like right under the wire, right at the last minute. Maybe we're going to see some more Oscar movies delay until January, until February, even just to sort of see if they get some more momentum. Right. Like part of the part of the reason that so many of these movies debut late in the year is so that they stay at the top of people's minds by the time that the Oscars come around. That's something that could adversely affect a movie that we just talked about, The Five Bloods, which now will have come out, what, 11 months, 10 months before the Oscar ceremony? Yeah. You have to keep that at the top of your mind for, like, almost a full year. Um, it is on streaming, I though. think it is on streaming, which, you know, hopefully will keep it alive. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's a little bit weird to think that this is going to change things that much. Like, I think... You know, obviously, we don't know the future, particularly with uh, whatever's going to happen with coronavirus in the U.S. Yeah, we may not be. But but whatever happens with coronavirus in the U.S., I don't think it's going to be that much different in December versus January. Uh, I don't think that a movie movie studio who wouldn't want to release their movies in November or December of this year is suddenly going to put them out in January or February of next year, right? Corona expires Uh, December 31st, 2020, (laughs) Zach. It's got it's got that uh, sell by yeah. date. I know, but it, it's just 
I, it's it sort of just seems like a weird. I don't even see the benefit of it. I, I've read that they are doing this particularly because they want to still do the Oscars show. They're thinking about how can they get people into the Kodak theater and do the ceremony like normal. And they think it'll be more possible in April. But I I just, I feel like that's trying to predict the future when a lot of people don't really know what's going to happen. And it's a weird arbitrary decision. Two months. What's two months going to do? What it's going to do. And I'm going to go all just December. Remember how great that used to be? It's the new August. It's the new October. Just the poop. And February. Oh, and January, Zach. You know, when we said that that was a dumping ground, they listened. They listened, Zach, and now we're going to get all of our Oscar movies January, February. You know, uh, when Valentine's Day comes around and you get like the one horror and then the one rom-com? Well, now you're about to get three Oscar-nominated movies. (laughs) I don't know. It is going to be interesting to see how it changes the landscape, uh, but even more so because we still don't know that much about theaters. And whether they'll Absolutely. be opening or even the effects of all of the streaming services because there's still so many more to come. And the ones that were announced now will only get bigger. Right. Well, since the last time we've spoke, HBO Max launched yes, unveiling its catalog of programming, including selections from HBO, Warner Media, TCM, Cartoon Network and more. They've got Friends. They've got The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Soon they'll have South Park in every studio Ghibli movie. It's just about every HBO show as well. But Art, yay or nay? HBO Max has the best selections of movies and TV available on streaming. Uh, I think that that depends on what you are looking for. Because, you know, the one thing we talked about with HBO Max is that, well, I personally love it. It's my favorite streaming service. Um, There isn't a ridiculous amount of foreign films. So if foreign films are what you're looking for, then Netflix has a bunch of productions that they are doing when it comes to that. When it comes to, I don't know, reality TV, if that's your cup of tea, then there's that. They do have a thing with Crunchyroll, but not all the Crunchyroll material is there yet. So if you're looking for anime, then that's right. elsewhere. Um, so I, I still think it depends. You know, I think the Criterion channel still has a, a lot of quality. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, maybe I know a lot of people who do like Apple TV Plus uh, with the one thing that they release a month. But uh, personally, I'm really excited to see what it's going to become. I am happy mm-hmm. that now that people don't know the difference between Go and Now and Max, now that it's a streaming service, I think it flips everything. Because it's been. It was the first one. It just wasn't on streaming. It was just called... Uh, what, was the, what was the tagline? HBO. It, it's not TV. It's HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. They just didn't have the internet. So now they're yeah. like, what? We were streaming before all... So now that they have an actual streaming service, I think a lot of people are going to go back and watch stuff that they never did on HBO because they only got it for Game of Thrones and then canceled it. Now they will be able to go see maybe totally. the Berries who didn't get that. All of the other shows. Oz, which is the first drama uh, limited hour series that came from HBO. A lot of other things that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have given it the, the time of day. <laughs> and we know the marketing that they're doing. To snatch up Friends. To snatch up South Park. Someone hit me up. He's like, can you sign this petition for South Park because it's not going to be on Hulu? I was like, homie, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's a streaming rights thing. That ain't a change.org thing. Um... <laughs> They're, they're going to have a lot of the Snyder Cut. They're going to have a lot of things that are going to be released through HBO Max. And I truly believe that it's going to be a what subscription plan do you want to catch those new movies? There will be new big releases that are coming out. And that's not even where you're going to mention one that's coming up where these streaming yes. services are releasing same day theater movies. Mm hmm. 
I mean, that that is the thing that's sort of interesting about this HBO Max situation is uh, we're talking about it as uh, one of the elite streaming networks already is they're not doing it off of their originals. Like, that's one of the things that Netflix has really uh, honed in on, particularly in the last couple of mm-hmm. years, is developing so much original content. Uh, Warner does own all this content exactly. that they're putting on there, but... Uh, so far, we've gotten like one Anna Kendrick show and yeah. an Elmo talk show and a couple Looney Tunes shorts as far as HBO Max original programming. I do think that HBO Max is the best in terms of quality out there just because of that depth of HBO shows that you mentioned, yeah. of they got that the Criterion yeah. collection that it's got. There, there's so much good stuff to watch there. I don't know if it's... Uh, the best entertainment wise like I know personally like sometimes I just want to watch like a like a cooking show and Netflix has got those now and they've got Queer Eye which is such an easy watch and yeah you know it's just there's a the way that Netflix has gone at the like teen romantic drama and they've made their kissing booths and they've gone every big budget action movie and they've made six underground and extraction they i think netflix is a little bit more comprehensive even if hbo max maybe has them beat on quality which again is what are you looking for do you want to spend all the time going through netflix which refuses to give you the a through z or yeah. HBO, which isn't afraid to tell you, here you go. Here's all of our content because we don't need an algorithm that's going to waste your time as we count views for things when you accidentally leave your remote there. It's a different It's a different game that they're both playing. What, my biggest criticism for it with the HBO Go, gone, now, in the past, Max being the B... They're still splitting things between something being an HBO Max original and something being an HBO original. Right. Yeah, I think that's part of the confusing branding behind HBO Apple Max. Apple did the because, same. Uh, it, HBO Max, like, kind of technically is not HBO. They're just using the HBO brand that's name weird. because people like HBO. That's weird. Uh, like, it would be more accurate to call it Warner Media Max. But, again, yep. like, I, I'm less likely to sign up for Warner Media Max than I am to sign HBO up for Max, HBO Max. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but that also came uh, came up with a weird situation today, or a couple of days ago, actually, where uh, we found out that HBO Now is not going to be a thing anymore, and it's just going to be HBO, just HBO, which is different from HBO Go, yeah. but also not HBO Max. Uh-huh. Again, I think they just need to nip it in the bud. Go was there because of cable provider people who wanted to have an extension. Now was there for people who were like, is it a streaming service yet? Kind of. I don't know. <laughs> HBO Max is like, all right, we're full streaming service now, so you got to cut out everything. It's something that Apple was yeah. going through by naming their Apple TV, the Apple TV, and the Apple TV. It's just all of this that they're trying to it, – it sounds like DC trying to make a cinematic universe – in a right. rush and then realizing, ah, let's just go this other way. So uh, it's going to take some time. I don't think it should have because you got people paying for it, but they just got to get it together. I think it's all going to be consolidated down to HBO Max. And if anything, HBO for the series, because I don't want the to go away. Um, yeah. And I think the new HBO, whatever it is, should be elsewhere. I do have a theory, though. All of these jingles out there. From the Apple ones, the Netflix, the Hulu. I don't know who they got working on these, but but there's got to be some science to these frequencies on those things that get us that get us into these these. I, I'm just like wondering who makes the jingle that is going mm-hmm. to play for every single original that people are going to hear at the beginning. I'm curious to know the science behind that. Let us know if you know. <laughs> the guy I'm who writes it. Fascinated to. 
Yeah. Uh, Warner Media announced that they will hashtag release the Snyder Cut on HBO Max in 2021. After years of fan protests and viral campaigns, the studio is planning to spend somewhere between 20 and 30 million dollars in order for director Zack Snyder to finish his version of Justice League, a project he was forced to leave after mid the mid-production passing of his daughter. It's news that brings up a variety of questions about the film industry, but Art, yay or nay, it's news that you were excited to hear. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Uh, yeah. Next time. You know, they were talking about um, making it the four hours and uh, the idea of bringing it back. and Right. We don't know yet if it's going to be like a four-hour movie yeah. or like a five-part series. They've yeah. been hinting at different ideas. I don't think Zack Snyder actually knows. So several yet. things came out of this. For starters... Um, I am someone who looks forward to it. I like the BVS Ultimate Cut. I think it answers a lot of other questions. I am not one who's been yelling like crazy for it to come out. Because for the fan base, you got the ones who've gone crazy. Yeah. You need the other opposite end. And that's what I've been That's what I've been doing here, laying out the groundwork. So when they're all yelling at y'all, I can come in as the sound voice uh, to say... I, I am for a director's vision coming out, you know, with the, especially with the circumstances behind this film and what wasn't able to be done um, for him to still be able to get the vision out there because of a fan base who's been so vocal about it. Are there definitely a lot of people who went super crazy? Definitely. There's a lot of charities and stuff that they've made. I know people want to make documentaries on the movements and stuff like right. that. One of the one of the immediate reactions, I think, to this news being announced was people say, saying like, oh, does this condone trollish behavior? And like, you know, on, I hope it doesn't because yeah. they're... You know, there there were a lot of trollish people who were who were going to weird lengths to try uh, and support such this movement. A big... But there's a lot of people who also like donated to suicide awareness campaigns <laughs> and stuff like that. You who, can't who ignore genuinely, that. Who, who genuinely did like nice things as part of their desire to see this happen. Completely do not condone that type of behavior. But a lot of people also wrote off the fact that they write, they like to write a lot of articles to sting the fire. And it's like, well, what are you going to expect? Well, I got a death threat. Are you dead? It's people on the internet are mad dumb, of course. But when it came right. down to like the movement and the stuff that they've done, you know, I, I w- there's a bunch of other projects that fan bases have been wanting for them to come back. And it is because of streaming services. Remember when Netflix became the Watchmen for the everything that got canceled. And then we asked, well, who watches yeah. the Watchmen when something sure, gets... Sure, we'll reboot Arrested <laughs> Development. Sure, we'll reboot Prison Break. But what sure, we'll reboot Designated Survivor. Stuff? Then we didn't know who was going to save that. Well, now you got so many streaming services. And the streaming services are smart enough to use Director's Cut as DLC, which is my biggest worry, because then that's done knowing that they could use it as a um, marketing tool. Right. It's a really interesting and, and I would say very smart play on Warner's behalf Gee, chess. that they're going to they're going to drop 20, 30 million dollars and have new a new superhero prop. Right. Like it, what in what world does a studio only pay twenty thirty million dollars and they get to put out like here's a Batman Superman thing like maybe some animation but like this is going to be a, a full like th- there's even news that potentially they're going to bring the actors back in to record ADR so- which brings up another idea too that like I am a little bit skeptical about how much of his vision will actually be actually be realized for only twenty to thirty million dollars when they're trying to expand it's this, already going this, up. 
two and a half hour movie to like this five hour series. Or I just something. read earlier that they're going to be re like redoing the sky down to the earth. They're going to be changing it up completely. Characters who were never even in the original to begin with. Uh, yeah. I would rather see it be the miniseries. But on top of that, you also got to be honest with it. You got the victory. But I, as someone who's kept up with it. It was never fully done. You know, there's a yep. lot of stuff that happens with, you know, that gets caught up in they, the emotion. They got to make the Snyder gotta, Cut before yeah, they release the Snyder Cut. You have to understand the Snyder Cut was not finished, which was, a, see, I told you it was done. It wasn't done. Yeah, you got, we got the movie, but it wasn't done. It does have to still be made. And I'm curious how that's going to happen, considering that a lot of it is already shot. A lot of it just needs to be mm-hmm. tweaked. And in the age of Corona, when you can't fully get everybody back in to shoot a big thing, um, that, yeah, Warner Bros. has something where they're going to be able to create one of the biggest marketing tools to get more people in to HBO Max by having something that you don't even need to really have a film set for. And especially a project that yeah. takes place a lot in green screen and, and studio-wise. And like you said, it's going to be reliance right. on uh, ADR and a lot of just CGI effects. So, yeah, uh, You mentioned that it's, it's an exciting... Uh, development in terms of allowing a director to see his true vision. Mm-hmm. I should I then take it Go that ahead. you're excited about hashtag release the air cut for Suicide Squad? You can release any cut you want. If people don't like it, they don't like it. And I'll say this even better than that. My biggest thing with it is when a lot of these movies come out in theaters, right? They release the, Marvel did a lot of this stupidity when it came to re-releasing Endgame. That had nothing but a crappy non-rendered version of the Hulk at the end. We've had that for Spider-Man right. movies. They pulled it on Quentin in order for him to be able to get it out there a little bit more. They re-released a director's cut. That wasn't a director's cut. It just had his uh, DiCaprio one-off commercials of the Red Apples at the beginning and at the end. Right. It was like a couple deleted Don't scenes. lie to us. That, to me, is you right. duping people with DLC. Not that I'm not f- you know, fully saying, all right, now you're good that it's on streaming. But it's a little better when it's on streaming where someone isn't paying the extra for it, you know? Be able to mm-hmm. cut all the different versions that you want. With streaming, you don't need to go get the Blade Runner's collector's cut. You have an opportunity to be able to host every single version of it, right? Um, yeah. I, for one, believe the director's cut should be the final cut. But, of course, we don't live in a world where that happens. So for those where they are able to get the version that they want out there, and Quentin has a cut of once upon a time that he wants to be released, um, which is way longer. I am for that, especially when it comes to streaming services. But I, we are going to see an era where if reboots can be hoard out to the ground, how lazy are these studios going to be when it comes to, I don't know, Star Wars cuts that people have been mm-hmm. wanting, when it comes to a bunch of other things that people have been wanting. And it's just going to be probably a lazy way to get a lot of other versions of movies yeah. Uh, as a cash grab to a degree, even if it is on streaming. Ultimately, this is a way for Warner to bring in more money. Mm -hmm. It's not a coincidence that they announced the existence of this cut like so close to the launch of HBO Max. They want you to be interested in HBO Max and sign up for it. But, uh, you know, I don't know if these media companies are going to facilitate these directors unless they see that kind of financial incentive. So, you know, maybe there will be incentive to put out the air cut if it becomes this trending movement. I don't see nearly as much support for that. I could see that kind of support for certain Star Wars cuts, particularly given uh, all the changes that George Lucas has made through the years that people complain about. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that's something Disney Plus has to consider. But uh, it, it'll be interesting to see which directors are even allowed to get this kind of treatment. Yeah. Uh, you know, is Kenneth Lonergan going to get this treatment for his uh, four-hour cut of Margaret? You know, why not? 
Upcoming World War II naval drama Greyhound was mm. once thought to be an awards contender for Sony Pictures. Tom Hanks not only stars in, but wrote the film, which was slated to hit theaters on May 8th, then June 12th, until Apple TV Plus acquired the movie for $70 million. They plan to release the film digitally at a later date. However, Art, we've seen studios like Sony and Paramount unload films like The Cloverfield Paradox, Annihilation, and more recently The Lovebirds to streaming networks yeah. rather than release them themselves. So art yay or nay the sale of greyhound makes you less optimistic about that film's quality i'm a little iffy on it did you get to catch the banker uh no i haven't seen the banker so like my biggest thing with it is i'm not exactly sure how that's profitable right like is it like all of the Apple subscribers, 75 million. <laughs> like, I don't know how much they make monthly. So how, how is like your entire income of your, of the people streaming your stuff, the same budget of the movie you just bought? Yeah. How many iPhones is Greyhound going to sell? Exactly. It's, it's are they going to, re- are they very... going to replace the phones in there? If it was something else? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be able to do with that. I do find it interesting because we have talked about how not everything is going to be a 1999 VOD release. Uh, we've talked about how it's going to be pushing into, oh, AMC, Regal, whatever, whatever, whatever. It's at home theaters now. Netflix, HBO, Apple TV, and this is a really big sale. We also had another one that was moved, which was not to VOD, but Artemis Val straight to Disney+, Plus, where it should have been. But... <laughs> I don't know. I can't really. I, I mean, can't that was a hundred twenty million dollar investment from Disney. That was even more. One hundred twenty-five. Okay, don't cut out the five mil. That was that was a ridiculous amount. Yeah, I can't speak of the quality of it. You know, I I can't because Netflix has really good ones that come out straight to Netflix. So I'm not one to belittle um, this one right here. But they did. I wanted to make sure I just saw the budget over here. The budget was fifty. So they gave them fifty and an extra twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. It's a big sale, you know, I think that number is definitely going to perk some people's interest, uh, but we've seen, like, we've seen Sony and Paramount kind of unload their movies, not necessarily because of quality, as we've seen with Annihilation, but maybe because of marketability, and maybe uh, with the Lovebirds, it's just a little bit of uh, fear over what the theater landscape is going to look like as we're in the middle of this pandemic, Uh Apple TV has the benefit of if there are no theaters to put this movie into, they can still release the the film on a platform that will draw interest. So they have a benefit to getting this kind of splashy dad movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I don't think it necessarily uh, means the movie is bad. I do think it means the movie isn't necessarily like amazing. If they were willing to sell it, if the, the fact that the people who made it were willing to wait on it, yeah, that is also maybe like a if call. they if they really think they're gonna win an Oscar or something like that for this movie, I don't think you get rid of that movie. I don't think you sacrifice that risk. Um, but I'm still curious about this movie. It's uh, written by Tom Hanks too, which is, is it kind a true of an story? Interesting little twist. I think it's based on one. Is yeah. my man playing yet again? <laughs> what did he had Sully and Captain Phillips? So I don't know. You know, Mister Rogers. Mister Rogers. All of those real life war uh, roles have yeah. always been pushed for an Oscar. Right. So, right. Tom Cruise has put his body on the line mm. in a number of ways for his action movies, but now his next movie might be out of this world. NASA administrator, administrator Jim Bridenstine. 
tweeted, NASA is excited to work with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. Deadline reports that the Mission Impossible star will work with NASA and SpaceX on a new feature-length action movie filmed while in orbit. Doug Lyman is apparently uh, rumored to be involved as director. Art, yay or nay, you like that Cruise is reaching to the stars with this next project? 100%. You know? I mean, it's a really interesting idea. Uh, the thing that it makes me think about, I mean, I, I am I like the ambition of it. The thing that it makes me think about, though, is how much uh, zero gravity technology in films has come along, how convincing movies like Interstellar or, or uh, it, what you know, even Space Force uh, convincingly can give you zero gravity and whether or not uh, the zero gravity that they're able to achieve through this is going to hold up, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I, unless they're fully launching Tom Cruise into space, which is a whole other thing, like, it seems like a really difficult proposition. That being said, I guess, you know, Doug Lyman are the t- kinds of people who are willing to take these types of daring risks and maybe make something amazing. So, I'm open to having my mind blown. I'm not necessarily sold that it will do that, particularly given that technology has done this type of thing pretty well. But were they the first to do it up in space? No. Nope. You know, he's trying to work on legacy here. The man was on a plane, right? The man was on a helicopter, right? The man was in Dubai marching out of that tower like Naruto down it, parallel to it. He wants to be the first person in space. I agree with you. I don't know what they're going to shoot. I don't think it's going to be a Mission Impossible movie, which is what they said it wasn't going to be. Maybe it's an original. Yeah. I'm not sure, but um, I like Tom Cruise when it comes to action. Yeah. If he's doing something else that's super crazy, I'm there for sure. I'm there. Absolutely. He's got that Jackie Chan-esque spirit of putting his body on the line in a way that's just very riveting. Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of want that from your action I think it gives him more points when he goes to his meetings where they're like, how much did you, how much did you put? And then they put the helmet on him. And the, well, I broke my well, foot broke for this my one. Ankle, so. so, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. That's about it for uh, yay or nay. But we've got some more news topics to hit in our next segment, the interview, where we hey. answer questions posed by you, the intercut viewer. So be an intercutie and send us your TV and movie questions by leaving them in the comments on YouTube, hitting us up on social media at intercut pod or emailing us intercutpod at gmail.com. We've got a couple questions in uh, from Twitter. First of all, where one of where we were asked, what do you think of the upcoming HBO adaptation of The Last of Us? And also, do we think that TV is a more suitable medium for adapting video games than movies are? I don't know which question you want to start with, Art. But um, I'll tackle them both. I am very excited for it to be there because I think it's a miniseries, right? I uh, think so, yes. And uh, this one is coming from Craig Mazin, who's the guy who most recently dire- uh, wrote the Chernobyl series. And I think he recently confirmed on Twitter that the guy who did the pilot for Chernobyl is also directing the pilot for The Last Okay, so it's in the right hands, right? It's in HBO. It's got everything that it needs to. And I am a big person who... We are watching a Gloria Steinem thing, and we were recalling her movie over at Sundance. And now it tried to cover mm-hmm. so much in one. And I always hit it with the, oh, it deserved the miniseries. I think a miniseries may be the better way to go when it comes to a, a you know, a property, a video game property, just in general. Right. Uh, but it also really just depends what hands it's in. Craig Mazin, right? I think has got it. Uh, have they said who's going to play anybody at all? 
As far as I know, no, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot of actors that would like to yeah. compete for that kind of Yeah, role. so to answer it, I am excited for it. I'm very curious to see where they're going to take it. On top of that, um, very curious to hear about the casting. And I really do think that an H, uh, a miniseries is a better way to handle these, you know, more vast stories. And it's something that I, I you know, why The Last Man? You know, the, <laughs> y'all worried about The Last of Us. I've been over here talking about why The Last Man for the longest time. That continues to get canceled. Um, but yeah, I'm more so on a miniseries to answer, to answer that. Yeah. I, I'm excited to, for The Last of Us. I, I like the game. I think it could make for uh, compelling drama uh, to, to answer the second question. I do think TV is... Generally speaking, uh, a better medium for adapting video games, particularly because for most video games, you end up spending a lot of time with them. No, uh, I think the average uh, AAA video game, it's like you play them for about 40 hours yeah. or something like that. And if you're going through about 40 hours of story, even if it isn't necessarily constant story, to reduce that to, to a movie, you're inevitably going to lose something. Easily. Uh, I, so if... if Part of what we like about video games is hanging out in that world, and TV gives you a chance to hang out in like that the world Eddie. for a little yeah. bit longer. Uh, wh- if yeah. you would have seen that it was picked up by Netflix, would it make you feel different than HBO? Uh, I think I'd be less, uh, maybe more skeptical if it was Netflix. Uh, that being said, I know a lot of people like The uh, Witcher, another video right? game adaptation that has done mm-hmm. well on Netflix. But uh, I think HBO, we've talked about this before, but there's just like a, a standard of quality associated with mm. the HBO name. Uh, whereas Netflix, it's there's some great stuff, but there's some bad stuff, too. It's more of a gamble for sure. Uh, we got asked what our opinion is of Lost, the TV show. I think we've mentioned this in passing like many times. It's the best of all time. We love it's Lost. It's the best of all time. It's, I was. I mean, our man Damon Lindelof made one of the best uh, seasons of TV last year, and we were both saying it's it's almost reminds us of Lost. It's almost as good as Lost. Uh, Alina's watching Watchmen right now as we speak. We're going back, just detailing every little thing in that show. And I was listening to his podcast with Craig Mazin. Producer right. of The Last of Us. He um, he was talking about how uh, when he made Lost, right? A lot of the stuff is his inspiration of putting all the behind the scenes and things like that. One of the big things that he had done was um, he took a lot of inspiration from Watchmen, the book, when that came out in the 80s. And he loved it. To him, that's his Watchmen. Watchmen to him is what Lost is to me to a degree. So when he was able to finally do Watchmen, that it kept kept creeping up on him multiple times and he finally took it, like he went all out with it. That was just a little story I had to tell just because how much I've, I've followed this man. Uh, just show you the intricacies of how deep he went into that show. Lost to me is what Watchmen is to him. Without Lost, I don't get into movies and I don't have that sophomore year where I go into everything at that blockbuster and end up doing what I'm doing now without the storytelling. And, and also it, it, there's a lot of personal stuff for me of when yeah. it was showing. Um, but I absolutely love lost lost to me is bigger than any other thing. Personally. I, I believe this is sort of like in my, in my brain that if this podcast become successful enough that we can launch a spinoff podcast, it's going to be the, we have to we go ha- back lost podcast. <laughs> That's good. Is that yeah. not taken? It. I hope we not because we are taking back podcast. <laughs> so yeah, uh, big fans of Lost Ooh, around here. That's a good one. Yeah, there is one. Uh, <laughs> there is one. Ah, damn. We'll find another one. Uh, Plum, who comments a lot on our videos and our in Twitter, thanks to her. 
uh, asked us who has seen more movies. You think you you think you got the answer to this one? Penny? Who, who do you think has seen more movies? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you think? Probably. I think that uh, you've seen more movies. You are a little bit more uh, thorough with checking out like stuff high to low. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of a little bit more weight but, for but that's uh, a, knowing what I need. Yeah, to watch. I do have an answer for that, and that's just more so that all when I started to be able to make money off yeah. of this. All that money goes back into watching all these movies. Exactly, so that in yeah. and of itself is like the cheat code there. On top of that, I hopped on MoviePass before MoviePass became MoviePass and it died. And mm. I took advantage of that like crazy. On top, on top, on top of that location-wise, Zach is in a place where they charge you literally an arm and a leg just to go see any movie. You know, Yeah, there's a lot of differences when it comes to it. Um, but I, yeah. I do think I might have seen a little more TV than you. Uh, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> easily. I watch more TV now you than, recomm- you, yeah, than you. Yeah, you do, recommend but... me the TV. <laughs> that's how it goes. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think that that's all it is. I think that's like a big factor of it, and then time as well. You know, like I, I may I was able to devote myself to this way faster, and like that's all I was doing. Right. Um, Art's got to keep seeing movies so you guys can keep getting. Let me explain, pretty much. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I watched like for every 20 movies. I was like, is any of these worth making an LME on? But uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I guess. Uh, A couple more comments from our YouTube community post. What movies from the con lineup lineup in quotes are you most excited for? We didn't get a con film festival this year, but we did get the 2020 lineup. Uh, Pretty exciting lineup. Of course, it had the the French Dispatch, uh, Wes Anderson's upcoming movie on there, which I think was the most notable one. Uh, had Soul, the new Pete Doctor Pixar movie, which I think a lot of people are excited mm-hmm. for. Uh, but we were talking about this right before we got on. They surprise announced two Steve McQueen movies. I'm not saying anything. Speak, because I, I agree with whatever he says. Uh, they were supposed to... Steve McQueen, I think, was hired to do a show for the BBC and Amazon, but then it turns out it's not a show. It's an anthology of five movies about racism in the UK. Uh, One of them starring Letitia Wright, another starring John Boyega. Like this, this man, this man gave us uh, widows. He gave us 12 years. He gave us hunger. He gave us shame. Now he's making just like surprise movies. I I'm so there. Uh, So Mangrove. Mangrove. Mangrove That's the name of it. Yeah. That's the answer yeah. right there for sure. Yeah. Uh, HBO Max is giving a one-month free trial to AT&T users. What are some must-watches to get in before the month runs out? Uh, it's hard to just limit it to some, but like, if you're asking me where to start, I, I'd say uh, if you haven't seen some of like the classic black and white movies that they've got to offer through Criterion, whether that's like Casablanca, which is like the most essential cinema romance, or even some of the silent comedies, City Lights, Charlie Chaplin, Safety Last, Harold Lloyd uh, are all great options. But if not those, maybe Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Like the, Those movies were not available on streaming for a long time, and now they're all there. It's incredible. Uh, I have a whole video that I made when quarantine hit and I went through every single streaming services and I gave my picks. But I'll say, Oz, did you know it was the first one hour long drama series from HBO? That's what I would <laughs> yeah, recommend. And it me. stars J.K. Simmons. So there you yeah. go. That'd be my pick. Uh, what do you guys think of Avatar so far? You started Avatar, right? Dude, the 15 minutes I have watched have been in 
incredible. Uh, no, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I have not finished it yet. I have like, <laughs> I get 30 recommendations and all 30 are like, why haven't you started this? Well, I was like, because well, then I wouldn't be able to start that one. I wouldn't be able to start that one. I spent the last two weeks just watching a, a lot of documentaries. Um, so I haven't yeah. been able to sit with it, but I do want to finish it all by December. So that's my, I guess, speaking it into the world. Right. So then right. I don't end so up this doing is it. The one... I said a December. I didn't say which December. But hopefully right. this is and this is the avatar where with like the tall blue people and the sex mm-hmm. tales, right? The one that and I still I'm still on this. Avatar two will be Jimmy coming back. We still have that theory. We don't think theaters may open. We hope they do. But if they don't open, Jimmy's Avatar two will be the highest grossing of all time. And he's not looking at Endgame. He's looking at Gone with the Wind. That's what he's working for. Because every single time Jimmy comes out with a movie, Titanic, highest grossing, turn of the century, Avatar. Oh, wait, right when a whole stock market stuff is happening and the dollar's huge overseas is where he made all that money. My man's about to use Corona as like the big return to movie theaters. And if that happens, I'm just letting you know right now. He's going to be gone with yeah, the everybody's talking about. Everybody's talking about Christopher Nolan reopening movie theaters. So James Cameron just sits and films he's another just, Avatar He's just sequel. waiting with all those little dots and bubbles that he's got in the water that he's filming. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, Anna Maria asked us if we have a favorite film festival and what are some of our favorite movies that have come out of that festival. We've talked a few times, I think, about uh, what our favorite festivals are or what festival to go visit. Uh, uh, you know, obviously we do. We've been doing Sundance for a couple of years now, and like that's just uh, such a great time mm-hmm. for us. Uh, but I, I, we also recommend the Toronto International Film Festival a lot. Uh, I think it's a you know another one that just consistently has great great movies uh one of the first times that i went to the toronto film festival was in 2014 when they had whiplash and nightcrawler and uh i think they had two days one night there it was just like a stacked stacked lineup so like that one i stands out to me is you want to know what mine was can't miss so i would say sundance as well which i have the poster over here as i stub my toe but as you can see right there, the Sundance International Film Festival. First year I went was 2017. It's one of my personal favorites. However, I would recommend Toronto. I think it's way more affordable. I think you're going to get the movies that may be more up your alley. There's a, the city. It's so much easier to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. And it's right towards the end of the year when you're going to be able to see a lot of the movies that will be talked about for months. That said, Sundance yeah. is a very similar thing as well. Um, and 2014's lineup. Which, again, was the top of the year to that year, Tiff, that you went, that had, like you said, Whiplash. Bro, they played The Raid 2. I think they mm-hmm. had a screening of Boyhood. They had – it was so stacked. Um, but, yeah, those same movies that yeah, I – Yeah, because also Toronto, another another good thing about Toronto is because it's later in the year and before the Oscars, you end up sometimes getting some of those Sundance movies that Best are example. trying to qualify exactly. for Oscars. Yeah, so uh, as much as I love Sundance, I think Toronto would be the one to definitely have your eyes out for. I always say, look for a local film festival, like a city one. You know, it's not just New York, Chicago, LA. There's from some Seattle. There's some in Ohio. There's a bunch in Florida. Your own local ones that play a lot of those type of movies. Um, and then I would say Toronto. And then build your way up to Sundance because it is more expensive. And then the one we're building up to is Telluride because that that one is even more expensive. But yeah, yeah, and and Telluride, Telluride. Uh, seems to think they're actually having a festival even though it's only ten weeks from now. They're like, oh, we added an extra day for safety. <laughs> what? It's I, that, cold. I do, 
There's no heat at I Telluride up in the mountains. Think Telluride is nope. nope. All right, we'll see. I, not this year. Not this not, year. Not for us. Uh, we got a couple last questions here. Have you guys watched Sucker Punch? What do you think about it? A little bit more Zack Snyder talk for us. This is actually one of the Zack Snyder movies that I, I haven't really? seen, though. How about you? Uh, so I haven't seen it since like it came out, probably a year afterwards when it probably premiered on HBO. But I got a buddy who sat down with me, and he had written like a dissertation on the movie and the themes and everything. Um, I dozed off while he was talking, but it showed me that like people really love this movie. And obviously Zack Snyder's got his fan base, uh, but that would be one of the ones that I, I want to rewatch. Uh, we got a couple questions here from Elizabeth, a frequent commenter. What do you guys think about AMC possibly not surviving? Do we guys think that Nolan's film Tenant can save movie theaters? And lastly, do we think that New Mutants will finally be released in August? Uh, I don't know if you want to take these questions in any particular order. Uh, I guess we should start maybe, though, with uh, the idea of AMC possibly not surviving. Uh, To me, it's not... I'm not as worried about that as I think a lot of moviegoers are. Uh, Yes, it sucks because for a lot of people, an AMC is like their only uh, movie theater option right now, Mm -hmm. but... I think we've seen AMC kind of be one of the slower adapters to the ways in which movies are changing. You, when you look at other companies like uh, like Drafthouse and how they're trying to make the movie theater experience more of an experience a community rather than selling popcorn, something where you where you're getting charged ten dollars for a popcorn yeah. or something like that. And yes, AMC like they brought along their uh, A list and stuff like that eventually, uh, but I, I think. You know, whatever we get, whatever movie theaters survive uh, this current situation, it, they're going to have to be smarter about how they ask people to invest, how they, uh, what the kind of community they build. And AMC was never one that really seemed like they were in it for a love of movies. They they were kind of like just a place to go to spend money and eat some popcorn. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I listen to a lot of, you know, the guy from the Music Box and, like you said, the people from uh, the Draft House. A lot of people who start off at an AMC theater and end up going to make, you know, to, like, run a, a more independent art house theater all say the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. One's in the business of community and movies. The other one's in the business of selling popcorn. Um, there's a lot of business practices that AMC was also doing and how they held leverage that also doesn't help out as well. But what I'm really curious about is depending on which one's open, right, how AMC, the stub memberships are going to change because it's going to vary already depending on where you're at. It was funny because yeah. they pulled one on everybody when they're like, ah, it's going to be a different price depending where you're at. And now people are like, ah, you can't charge us if we are not able to fully watch the movies with whatever limitations get put, especially if you're in a state when they're not going to have it at all. Um, yeah, right. I mean, I can't speak to it. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. There was a rumor about Amazon buying it out. We'll see. Netflix continues to buy more theaters in the meantime, which I find interesting. They bought the Egyptian at uh, in Hollywood, I think. So, yep. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, as for the idea of Nolan's film Tenant saving movie theaters, like I, I do think it's going to be a big boom for movie theaters who need uh, an ex- exciting mo- movie that's going to get people out. But I, I don't think it's going to make anywhere near the kind of money that uh, would alter the landscape of uh, movie going, yeah. particularly considering that like most people might still be scared by the time that it 
it's saying it's going to be in yeah. theaters. Like I don't, you know, I don't think I'm comfortable enough to go to a movie theater in my area uh, a month from now, particularly for a movie that's going to be three and a half hours. Dude, long that runtime like on that. there, it's like whatever incubation period there is for the room to fill up with whatever. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they should be pushing drive-in theaters, but some drive-in theaters are getting so stingy they want to pay 25 a pop. Like a per- So I got to provide my own seat and right. everything. It's not going to be premium quality sound because we're outside. And they want to charge 25 They're trying to take advantage of it. There will always be vultures. Right. Uh, but it already got pushed back. You know, went from the July 17th spot, you know, that, that right in the middle, got pushed back to July 30th. That only sounds like it may be pushed back even more. And I don't think they want to release the movie they pushed back because they said, forget being the first. We need someone else to be a sacrificial lamb. How that sacrificial lamb does, or if even all the openings happening beforehand end up shifting attitudes or more so not flattening what should be flattened, they're going to boot it. It's interesting, though, because like we said, in its place is Inception, which a lot of people continue to say and speculate that it is going to be the uh, rumored sequel. Tenet is the sequel mm-hmm. to Inception. You know, ten, Tenet, you can spell it forwards, backwards. Either way, you get two tens. Ten years. It's been 10 years. Um, I think that's why he's really big on having the massive release that he wanted, and that sucks. But, hey, just like everybody else, Nolan, put it on Fortnite like you did the trailer. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> the last one was... Uh, New Mutants. No. Will it finally be we released? We can move on to the next one. That's no. never going to be released. Rest in peace. <laughs> I Just put that one just on Just put Disney it on Plus Disney and Plus and let us with. see it. It's going to be Hulu. It's going to be Hulu. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Uh, So that's it for the interview. But make sure you leave us a question in the YouTube comments or emailing us, reaching out on social media to get it featured on the next show. Thank you to the inner cuties who sent in what you did. We're going to get to our last segment of this and every week. It's the new to see where we give you our picks for the week stuff to go out there and stream since we are not going to a movie theater that soon. Art, what do you recommend for the people? Uh, so I got a couple of picks. I was watching a lot of documentaries this past week. We had mentioned the live stream how 13th is not just on Netflix. It's available for free on YouTube. Yep. Uh, another one that was a movie that came out in 2017 at South By, and it's called Stranger Fruit. They had footage that they released, that they had obtained about what happened in Ferguson from the Michael Brown case that was not made public. South By, screen it. First time it's made public, makes the news everywhere, as everyone can recall, about the prior video before the one convenience uh, story clip that everybody saw. He pretty much has a, a, a redux version in where he is now answering everybody's questions who tried to then belittle the film. His whole film is about how the media manipulates things. He brings out some information that was hidden. The media then manipulates that so that he made the movie again to talk about how the original cut of his movie got manipulated. It is an insane introspective look highly recommend that one um i believe it's on hulu is where i caught it uh and then parasite not parasite but parasite which is an anime over on netflix that uh a lot of people have recommended to me <laughs> it's crazy it's pretty wild it's a parasite on a guy's arm they have to coexist <laughs> and they're practically fighting a bunch of other parasites that have taken over other bodies it's an anime it's pretty crazy but those are my picks Cool. Uh, I'm with you on some of the documentaries. You know, that's something that I've been doing just to uh, try and give myself additional reference points. Finally, catch up on some of the things that uh, have been recommended to me for many years that I just informing watched. yourself uh, on the. Yeah, exactly. Educate. On the live stream, we talked about uh, "I Am Not Your Negro," the Raoul Peck documentary that uh, is sort of like 
a completion of the last unfinished James Baldwin novel. James Baldwin being this intellectual thinker who uh, was very prominent, I think, in the the 60s uh, for his ideas, particularly his ideas on the the role of systemic systemic issues towards the black community and uh, the black community's place in a modern America. And, you know, I say modern America, even though the film... uh, it references a lot of writings and and footage that's you know 60 years old at this point because it unfortunately we feel these reverberations and we feel uh the we, when you listen to someone as smart as Baldwin speak on these topics like it it just is so resonant with uh the the problems we're going through right now uh in in terms of uh one America's unwillingness to listen to another section of America so i would highly recommend that particularly because James Baldwin's a guy who i think uh, if you've been paying attention to the news and you've been paying attention to uh, black thinkers, there are many people who quote his his teachings. And uh, the film is a great place to get a reference point for who he was and what uh, what made him so special, even though it's not necessarily like a biography of sorts. It, it's just it's great insight into a really interesting thinker. Uh, and then along the same lines, I'm going with the black power mixtape, 1967 to 1975. It's a collection of footage shot by Swedish journalists through that time period that's then uh, assembled here uh, and given a lot of commentary from more modern voices, Talib Kweli, uh, Erica Badu, uh, Questlove, even Angela Davis uh, provides modern day commentary. Although Angela, Angela Davis is one of the many thinkers who was featured back then. Mm-hmm. You have um, stuff with uh, Stokely Carmichael, Bobby Seale, of course, a great clip with Angela Davis that has since gone viral and just in terms of introducing you to some of the black revolutionary voices of that time, of that uh, period where there was so much civil rights work being done, uh, who aren't Malcolm, who aren't Martin, uh, beyond those two names, uh, it, it, I think it's a really useful uh, source document. So mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot from that documentary. Uh, I th- something that we didn't talk about, actually, was the Dave Chappelle 846 special. I'll that talk about it right on, now. Yeah. On YouTube all of a sudden. Uh, just an absolutely stunning, uh, I, you know, you want to call it stand-up special, but it's it's so far from uh, what we expect from a stand-up special. You know, this is it. While there are some jokes that Dave Chappelle is delivering here, he's just so so cogent and uh, clear with the the emotions he's feeling and uh, what the experience is like to go through this type of trauma again and again and again. I'm curious to see because the way that Dave works is that he pretty much has these like pop up things where he's just practicing in front of an audience. He does not care whether you leak it or not. He is practicing his craft. Uh, And this was clearly off the cuff many times, you know, rough bits where he was just testing out jokes. Yeah. He he was talking about this is like maybe the first concert since coronavirus. Started. Literally, yeah, and they have people separated as you can see there in the in the small clip. But you know, there's a cliche quote that's been going around. I don't know if it came from him. Probably precedes him. The idea of we used to get our guidance from politicians and our com- comedy from comedians, and comedy now from, it's the comedians yeah. who give us the guidance and the politicians who we laugh at, type thing. And uh, yeah, I think he said a lot of a lot of stuff there that I feel a lot of people are like not getting what he's saying. Or just purposely mm-hmm. being ignorant to it, or but 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 type stuff. But I I, I think some people need ten years. You look back on it, and I, I think he said a lot of stuff in there that uh, again, it's on YouTube. You can catch it yourself, and I recommend a lot of his yeah, other stuff. I, I th- 
Absolutely. And I, I feel like if, if Dave Chappelle is somebody who's brought you pleasure, because he's brought a lot of people pleasure and, and laughs and, and just pleasant times through his work, uh, you owe it to him to hear his pain because it, it's, it's so clear mm-hmm. uh, in the special. And I don't know if I've he, – he uses fake anger a lot for his comedy, and I don't know if I've ever heard the, the quite real anger. Well, stuff he was talking about and the stuff he was revealing personally – Definitely personally, but but then all the other anecdotes that he was making and connecting. So yeah, the the uh, bit with John Crawford III that he relates is yeah. just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and then something that is maybe a little bit lighter uh, available on Netflix now. I haven't really been seeing people talk about this, which is a shame. Uh, Spelling the dream is this very pleasant documentary. Uh, it talks about how through the past uh, decade or so. Indian Americans have come to dominate the spelling bee. I, I believe it's 18 of the last 22 winners of the Scripps National Spelling Bee have been these Indian American kids. Uh, and the documentary kind of asks why and what these kids go through and uh, it shows you a little bit of the preparation that their families have because for kids who are as young as seven years old to be competing in these spelling bees, it really is like a whole family endeavor. Uh, so just to see how they train and to see like an eight-year-old spell this 46-letter mm-hmm. word that I don't even know how to pronounce this. It's kind of amazing. I don't know if you're like me in that sometimes it's fun to just watch these spelling bees and and see how like the knowledge that these kids have that like, you know, it's relatable because we can try and sound out and spell out a word. But to see their their grasp of this subject is really, really impressive. Plus, the the children are just very adorable in this thing. Uh, there's one kid in particular who is at the star is at the center of it. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he was like even on Dancing with the Stars Junior. Uh, so he's it's just a really well, funny. Well, well, uh, well. It's a it's a fun, pleasant experience and uh, less than ninety minutes long. So a really quick hang if you're looking for like a a cleanse in terms <laughs> of documentaries. I think it can't go uh, wrong with Spelling the Dream. Uh, but I think that's about all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich. Art, where can people find more from You can from find me, me at Data Z Show or LME Explain over on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all that good stuff. You can find me every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I Like Overcast. And then make sure you subscribe not just to the audio feed, but the video feed as well. YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the podcast every Friday. And please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod to get updates throughout the week from Art from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, there is no word for career in primate sign language.